Well, last week, we were introduced to Abraham. Uh, Abraham, who had come from uh, the land of Ur, uh, all because of uh, he heard the voice of God. And after he heard the voice of God, uh, that he, in essence, moved his family uh, from many, many miles, uh, not knowing where he was going, but only knowing that God had called. How many of us have been in an experience like that? So now uh, that Abraham has finally landed, even after spending a a stint in Haran uh, with his father, remember that uh, Abraham uh, stayed at home with his parents until he was 75 years old, and then he decided to move out. How blessed was Abraham! But Abraham, he moved out all because God again uh, moved on him uh, to say that you must finish that in which you started. That you can't start with me and then quit midstream. So I can imagine now Abraham in Haran uh, with his father and God telling Abraham, "Uh, come on man, what's your problem? It's now time for you to move forward. So then Abraham, he does that thing. He finally moves out of Haran. Now after a stint in Haran, he comes down into the land of Canaan. And this is the land of promise. And back here in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we recall these verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God tells Abram that because of your obedience, these are all the promises that you will receive. So now, uh, Abraham is in the land of Canaan. And now he's confronted with a brand new problem. And Abraham, he decides to take action when he was in distress. Uh, Much like many of us, uh, that when there's issues going on in our life, uh, that one of the things that we want to do, we want to take action. That we don't want to sit idly by while stuff happens to us, uh, but we want to move and take action. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. Uh, You you see there, it says that first that there was a famine in the land, and then at the end of that verse, uh, the famine was severe in the land. So there was a problem in the place where God sent Abraham. There was a problem in the place where God sent Abraham. Again, we last heard 
how Abraham had been called out of the land of Ur into the place that God would show him. And that place turned out to be Canaan. Recall that Abraham had no road signs. Abraham had no maps. Abraham had no GPS. And he had no X marks to spot. All he had was his sensitivity to his faith in order to follow the Lord. So Abraham was safely led of the Lord to Canaan without much incident. So he made it generally from point A all the way to point B with maybe a point A, A2 there along the way. So then we read in our text here in Genesis 12 verse 10. says that there was a famine in the land. And this right here begins a very uh, familiar phrase in Scripture. And this phrase, uh, uh, quite naturally, it introduces crisis. Uh, have you ever had a crisis introduced into your life? So here it was, Mr. Abraham, uh, following God, because thus says the Lord, that you've done everything that God has called you to do, or that you were faithful, and that you made it to that place. And then you enter into this time of distress. Oh God, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? What did I do wrong? That this is the land that you called me to. In fact, God, if you recall that I was happy in the land of Ur, worshiping the moon God. I was happy in the land of Ur, just taking care of my business, and you called me that I was in this place of comfort, and you said, get up and go. Get up and go to the land that I will show you. And God, I followed you all the way. I followed you all the way. And now, you bring me into this land that you said was a land of promise, and now I get here and discover that it is a land that's full of famine. We've talked about before, how God often allows us to live into this uh, life of orientation. This life of orientation when all things are going well. And we're just again minding our own business in life of orientation. Uh, that we're just loving life. We're living high on the hog. Then all of a sudden, a life uh, just throws us and thrusts us downward into this time of disorientation. And this is the place that Abraham and his family finds themselves. They find themselves into a time of disorientation that all of a sudden uh, they're in a tizzy, uh, they're, they're very dizzy because they don't know what has hit them. So it's very interesting that the ecology of uh, this very fragile landscape, uh, talking about the land of Canaan, uh, that it, it made it prone to droughts. You see, uh, this land uh, that it relied upon uh, two types of rains. Uh, not only uh, the, the rain that would happen in the springtime, but also the rains that would happen in the wintertime as well. The early, uh, I think one of the prophets would call it, the early and the latter rain. 
So if you could make it in between the early and the latter rains uh, in which the uh, precipitation would actually come and, and, and land on the land and on the plants, then you would be good to go. This very fragile landscape uh, that it was very sensitive that even though it would get rains that uh, the sun would eventually come out and cause the land to crack and to crumble if it did not have sufficient rains. It would cause devastation all over the place. In fact, uh, contemporary archaeology that they have discovered, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, that oftentimes uh, uh, within, uh, there, there are a couple of periods, I should say, uh, within this particular landscape in which a drought or famine-like conditions would last for 300 years. Did you know that? Imagine a, a, a drought or famine lasting for a year. Imagine if you would, if a, a, a famine or a drought would last in the land for 300 years. You see, within this uh, cultural context, this is where we find Abraham. That Abraham is living in one of these 300 period uh, year droughts. So since famines were such a common occurrence, that when we read in Scripture that there is a famine in land, that oftentimes the idea of, uh, of famine, that it also speaks to the spiritual as well. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are we having a spiritual drought? Are we having a spiritual famine? Those times in which we don't hear from God. Those times in which we are struggling and we are thirsting for the presence of God. As a matter of fact, the psalmist says this in Psalm 42 and 1, and many of you know this through one of the worship songs that we sing. Psalm 42 verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. In fact, one of the translations goes on to say uh, that my very soul, that it thirsts for God. That I am at this dry point in my life and I need God. As the deer uh, pants for the water brook, oh so my soul longest after you, I believe one of the songs says. So think about your heart for a moment, would you? Think about your heart for one moment. Are you spiritually dry? Have you been living your life and then all of a sudden you hit this drought and there is a famine in the land? Sure, only you know, I don't know, but you know whether or not if there's a famine in the land of your heart. How do you know? Well, one way we can become spiritually dry is when we don't spend enough time with the Lord. So if you're not spending enough time with God, you know that you are prone to a spiritual famine. Another way we dry up spiritually is when head knowledge outpaces heart presence. When uh, head knowledge outpaces heart presence, and that means that, uh, that God is not uh, always present there with you. Uh, that you're more concerned about other stuff than you are with the presence of God. Another way we can dry up spiritually is when there's disobedience to the Lord. 
When you know what you're supposed to do, yet you refuse to do it. You grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, these things, they cause uh, severe dryness, uh, a severe drought in your life. So we must be aware of these issues, else there is uh, this incipient slide down the slippery slope of complacency and despondency towards our, in our heart. That if we're not aware of these traps and these trips within our life, then we find ourselves in desperate need of God. So what do you do in the place where God has sent you and all is not going well? What do you do in the place where God has sent you and everything is not going as you thought the way that they should? So Abram's response, as we see in our verse, was to get up and do something different other than what he had been doing, which was just staying there. Amen? That you know how we act sometimes, that uh, when things are not going the way that we want them to, then we want to get up and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make something happen. Amen? That we want some momentum in our life. For Abraham, it was obvious that sitting around and looking at his wife and looking at his nephew Lot and the four walls, that that wasn't helping anything. That sometimes you can only look at the four walls only for a certain amount of time before finally you say, I've had enough. I'm ready to get out of this. I'm ready to do something because things are not moving the way I think that they should. Remember now that the famine not only affected uh, the, the family of Abraham, but also affected all those who had come with Abraham as well. You see, most people, uh, they don't understand what you're going through. They don't know what you're going through when you are struggling for the whole family. This includes not only those inside of your family, but also those outside of your family. In other words, your decisions or lack of decisions, they affect more than just you. Those decisions, they cause so much, uh, uh, so much stress and so much pressure in your life. And you need to decide. You need to make a decision. At least so you think so. There are men and women alive on this planet today who carry a significant weight on their shoulders all because of the responsibilities that they have and who they have to take care of. Sure, other people look at you and wonder, why is it that you're not doing this or why aren't you doing that? Uh, but they fail to comprehend the magnitude of your responsibility. They don't get your weight. They don't get... Uh, the burden that rests upon your shoulders. You see, for them, for those who are looking at you uh, from the outside, it's easy. All you have to do is do this and do that, and then your problem is solved. But they don't understand the information or the foresight that you have. Uh, therefore, you suffer uh, deep inside of your heart uh, from the weight, uh, even because of their lack of understanding. 
was different. It was a different time for Abraham. It was a time when Abraham, as the, the head of his household, that he could make a decision and move his household. Uh, baby, let's get up and go. We're taking the entire family and we're going over here. And that's the end of that. It happened with Abraham. Even though God had called Abraham from the land of Ur, he had to go through, in essence, his father Terah in order to start that move. Which is why that's what the scripture says uh, there in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, that it was Terah who took Abraham, his son, and Lot. He took them all. That's why it says what it says there. Abraham had to go through him. You see, this was a different time. God called Abraham, so Abraham said, okay, family, let's get up and go. Let's get up out of here. And they said, okay, daddy, let's go. No problem. You the man. But as you know, today is a different time. Today we have a different generation. You see, when it's time for you to make a decision that everybody wants to know why you're doing it. They want to know why these things are happening. And if you can't give them a reason which satisfies them, then they don't want to cooperate. Then they start asking the question, then why do I have to go? I don't want to go with you. I don't want to do this. And they begin to, especially when you think about kids, uh, that, that I don't want to do that because I wanted to stay here or I wanted to hang out with my friends. You know how that goes. Or if you're married, you, married, you understand with your own wife. That they'll frown and question you. But I tell you, one way is to allow the Holy Spirit to move in everybody's life. Amen? So isn't it interesting that a famine sounds nothing like the great promises that God gave Abraham? Isn't that interesting that famine sounds nothing like promise? Can you imagine again Abraham saying to himself, God made me move all the way down here and promise all, all these big things and I'm struggling. I'm hearing all these promises of God and here I am right here. I don't look like a victor. I don't look like more than a conqueror. I don't look like any of those things. I, I'm struggling right now. In fact, here I am. I can imagine Abraham saying, with my family, and we are about to starve to death. Why? Because God said go. Because I recall back in the land of Ur that we had plenty. We lived on the fertile crescent, and we had plenty, plenty of food, and everything was good to go. But now we're about to starve, all because God said go. Was Abraham foolish? Was he hearing things when he heard God tell him to get up and go to a land that I will show you? You see, moments like these, uh, they may cause our faith to weaken. Why? Because we can't see the end of the thing. We want to, right? Don't you want to know how God is going to work it out in your life? When you lose a job, don't you want to know how, what, what is going to be the next job on the horizon so you can start rejoicing now? When you get sick, don't you want to know the date and the time in which you're going to get well so you can begin to just celebrate right now? But God doesn't always do that. But somehow it feels like God leaves us in a lurch. 
He leaves us in this place in which we just have to wonder. We have to wonder and maybe even ask God, what on earth are you doing in my life? These are the make you or the break you moments. These are the make you or the break you moments. That uh, if you're not careful that they can break you down like a factory worker breaks down cardboard boxes quickly and with ease. This is one of those moments when you must consider God's plan because what you're going through today sounds nothing like what God promised yesterday. Nothing like what you thought. You think to yourself, oh, it's not supposed to happen this way. You can imagine Job saying the same thing in his myriad of conversations between his friends and with God as well, that it's not supposed to be this way. I believe that if Job could have read what the scripture said about him, that there was no one on the earth about him, I can imagine him now bringing those words back to God. You said that there is nobody on this earth like me, so if that is true, why are you allowing me to go through? These are the moments that we must consider and we must know who God is. This is why... Even in our Bible study, we talk, we've spent so much time talking about who is God? How does He present Himself to us? Who is God? Because if you don't know who God is, when those times of struggle, when those times of suffering, when they finally, you hear what I said, when they finally, when they finally come your way, you have nothing to hang your hat on. Some people say, well, I just want to have a good time in church and I don't want to learn nothing. I just want to come and dance and shout. But the problem with that, you can dance and you can shout as many Sundays as you want, but when you finally come through, you better know something about God. You better know something about God. You better know uh, that God, that He sees you, that He's omniscient. You better know that God is omnipotent, that He's all-powerful, that He can change your situation. You better know that God is peace, that He can give you that peace. You better know that God is your all in all. Because if you don't know this, then you are going to fade away. And then when your famine comes uh, into play, when that drought finally dries you up, then you are going to be uh, out of everything, including your God. Because you're going to wonder, God, what happened to you? So Abraham, he decides to move his family to Egypt, where he suspects trouble if he doesn't act preemptively. So Abraham, he decides, okay, it makes sense. Can you imagine making your family plan, making your five-year plan, your one-year plan, whatever it is? Okay, I'm looking at my situation now. I know that this is going on here, so I have to move this from here. I have to do this. I have to do X, Y, and Z. And Abraham is saying to himself, if we stay here, we're going to die. So therefore, we need to get up and move our family down to Egypt because I heard in Egypt they have that river Nile that's going all the way through. So they always have that money, have that water and those plants and you can save money as well, that that land looks very good. So let's go down to Egypt. However, if we go down to Egypt, there just might be trouble. And here it is. Some people think that lies are a very present help 
in a time of need. Some people believe that your lie is a very present help in a time of need. Now we move on to verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. In other words, you bad girl. Look, I, Sarah, I just want you to know that you, uh, this is why, you know, I, I told my daddy, you know, you've got to, you, you've got to let me marry my cousin, right? Because she is just so fine, right? She is so fine that everybody's going to want her and she's just going to be a prize on my shoulder. As a matter of fact, Sarah, she looks so good that she's going to make me look good. So he tells his wife, look, I know you're fine. You know you're fine. Everybody know you're fine. And then verse 12, he goes on to say, but look here. <laughs> right? There's always a but, a but look here when you got a fine woman on your, on your arm. Amen? And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they're going to let you live, girl. Verse 13. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. You know, uh, God's people uh, sometimes respond to trouble in ungodly ways. Did you know that? That God's people sometimes respond to trouble in ungodly ways. As we take a look here at Abraham, we see that he was concerned about his wife before he went down to Egypt, wasn't he? He was so concerned about his boot. No, he wasn't. Abraham was not concerned about his boot. He was concerned about numero uno. He was concerned about himself. In other words, he was saying, honey, look, what will these men do to me if they see me with this fine woman? He said that they will see you and they're going to kill me and they're going to let you live. Abraham didn't want to die and leave his wife as a widow. Well, maybe, uh, he, maybe he wanted to live and, and leave uh, and be a widow and have his wife die. I'm not sure what his thinking was in there. So Abraham, what he did when he began to speak out of this lie, that he spoke out of fear and not out of faith. That Abraham, he spoke out of fear and not out of faith. How many times have you did that? That somehow you ended up in some kind of corner where you were and you couldn't figure out how to get out of it so you lied. Or you said something that you should not have said. Or you acted in a way that was ungodly. So Abraham, he decided to scheme. He says he needs everything to go well with him so that his life will be spared. 
And ladies, I just want to uh, uh, warn you that if you have a man that's more concerned about himself than with you, then be aware, beware of the Egyptian syndrome. But also know, uh, and we have to, can't forget this, that in today's society, the reverse is also true. That sometimes ladies are more concerned about themselves than they are about their man. So the shoe can be on the other foot. So, so Abraham said that, uh, let's just tell this lie. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to tell a lie, and you're going to tell a lie, and we're going to be good to go. So I want you to tell everybody that you're my sister. Well, technically, right? Technically, 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 all right? Uh, Sarah was Abraham's sister. Uh-oh. Sarah was Abraham's sister. Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. And this is Abraham speaking, by the way, starting in verse 12. Besides, what does he say? She is indeed my, who? Sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So in other words, she wasn't his full sister. Come on, y'all. That would be gross, right? She was his half-sister. Come on, y'all. That would be gross, right? All right, we don't have time to talk about that whole, uh, that whole deal, uh, but uh, one thing that we know uh, within God's economy during this particular time of human history that God allowed this particular thing to happen. Think about it. Where did all uh, Adam and Eve's children come from? And who were, they, who were their husbands and wives? Think about it. So for a period of time that God allowed this particular thing to happen. But we don't have any more time to spend on that. However, it was a lie at the end of the day because... How did he treat her? How did Abraham treat Sarah? Did he treat her as his sister or did he treat her as his wife? Come on, you know what he did. He treated her as his wife. So therefore, uh, he, she was his wife. It's amazing. It's amazing that the lies uh, we can tell ourselves and others in order to ease our consciences. We say and do things to justify an ungodly decision or ungodly behavior. And by line, we know this is to be inconsistent with who God is. In fact, you know, there's commandments against lying. But somehow Abraham thought it was necessary to lie in order to get out of a tough spot, which he created for himself. Remember this. Abraham created the situation for himself by being in Egypt in the first place because God had never called him to go to Egypt. God called Abraham to go to the land of Canaan. But you're saying, but you just said there was a drought. I sure did. And I tell you, regardless of where you are, wherever, however hopeless it may seem to you, that if God has called you there, that God will provide. I tell you, sometimes being still is the best thing to do than moving around all the time. Did you know that? 
That sometimes just getting yourself still, not going from here to there. And you know, one of the reasons that uh, people go from here to there is because they can't have their way. Did you know that? One of the reasons why people go from here to there, from this place to the next place, is only because they can't have their way. They refuse to sit and wait on God. But eventually, it will catch up with them. That's one thing that I know for sure. So again, as Chuck Swindoll said, that lies can feel like a very present help in a time of need. Now our scheming can produce the opposite of what we expect. Your scheming can produce the opposite of what you expect. Let's go on to verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. It was just like Abraham said that they were going to look at her and say that she was fine. She was fine. This woman is oh so fine. Verse 15. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep. This is, this is Abraham now. In other words, Abraham was dealt fairly. And so, so what he did was, <clears throat> Pharaoh said, let me have your fine wife. Or better yet, I'm going to take your fine wife, but I'm not going to leave you out there. And instead of having your fine wife, this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you sheep. I'm going to give you oxen. I'm going to give you male donkeys. Male servants. I'm about real people, right? Female servants. Female donkeys. Have you ever wondered why the scripture divides it up between male and female donkeys? Have you ever considered that? How come scripture simply doesn't say just donkeys? And then he says, and camels. So Abraham, he was smart because he knew the Egyptian culture well. And it was, as Abraham said, that she was super fine and the Egyptians knew that she was a good-looking woman. And what would be your, man, what would be your plan, right, if you have your woman on your arm and you're in a strange land with strange men that they're Googling your women? Okay, now, right, you said Googling. No, I'm not talking about getting on the Internet and trying to find out if she's hooked up with you or not. No, I'm not talking about that kind of Googling. I'm talking about the Google before there was a Google, and that was looking at your wife or looking at your lady with really big eyes. That's called Googling as well. So what would you do? I'll tell you what I used to do. You want to know what I used to do? I used to just cop, cop a two. You know, I just, I just, you know, you know when I see, uh, uh, when I would see guys, I'd be with my wife, you know, when I see them looking, first thing I'd do was I'd buck up. You know? That's what I would do. I'd just buck up. I wouldn't tell her. Guys, they looking, and, and I'd stop, and I'd turn around, and sometimes I'd say, what's up? Right? I, you know, that's what I would do. Guys, I'm not sure how how you would respond to that situation, but, you know, all of us, we have our own degrees of craziness. Amen? But here is something that we must consider. How old was Sarah 
How old was this woman? You realize that, number one, you have to remember that, you know, see, Abraham, he didn't marry an old lady to start with. He married a young lady because he was young. Amen? Amen. So they began to grow old together. So it is estimated that Sarah was between 65 and 70 years old. So the question is, men, how many 70-year-olds do you say, ooh, that's a fine-looking mama? We know what happened to old men all the time, right? Uh, they, you have the young ladies, you know, looking at me. I remember, uh, and I'm not going to even go there. I'm going to tell you a story about my father he doesn't even know about, uh, but I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. Maybe one day in Bible study I'll tell you about that story. <laughs> But I'm not even going to go. He doesn't know anything about what I was getting ready to say. He knows nothing about it. Uh, but anyway, uh, but it happens. that you know, Sarah, she had to be bad. She's 70 years old, and Pharaoh wants this woman. Pharaoh can have any of the finest women that he could have almost anywhere in the world. And he chooses a 70-year-old woman. Maybe Pharaoh will say, hey, uh, look, look here, princes of Egypt. I want you to go out and find me a woman. See if she's on Medicare first, right? Right? Uh, see if she's if she ain't on Medicare. I ain't even trying to hear that, you know, uh, because you know beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, right? So she was seventy years old. This woman was seventy years old, and she was fine. They looked at her, remember? They looked at her and say, man, this woman, they didn't know how old she was. You never think my wife is 70, but you, you, you would look and you would never think that she's 70. But one thing you can say, as I say with my wife, boy, you fine. Uh, they looked at Sarah and said, boy, is she fine. Sarah would probably end up in the harem. She was fine, but she was going to be a part of uh, his uh, store of women. Here's an example. Esther chapter 2, verse 3. Esther chapter 2, verse 3. Some idea of how they treated these kings, these pharaohs, treated these women. Verse 3, it says, And let the king appoint officials in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given them. In other words, they would amass all these beautiful women to themselves, and mostly they would be young women. But here you have a 70-year-old woman. So as a consolation prize, Abraham was given sheep, oxen, donkeys, male and female servants, and camels instead of his wife, Sarah. Guys, I want to ask you, how much money can someone give you that you would think acceptable uh, in place of your wife? Don't say it. As a matter of fact, don't think it. Don't think it. Because you'll, it'll be like 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden you'll feel this, this pain in your side, and you'll wake up and say, was I dreaming? And, and, and that person that's sleeping next to you, they'll be staring at you, and you'll say, Dolores, don't do that. No, you'll say, 
you'll say, don't do that. Don't do it. So in other words, Pharaoh didn't want Sarah to be unhappy. So Abraham was given lots of animals and lots of servants. And by the way, uh, what you see in that list there in verse uh, 16, the reason is listed that way. The reason that the, uh, the, the female donkeys and the male donkeys were divided up because the male donkeys were dogs, right? And they had to go first because if they were behind the female donkeys in this caravan, that they would go nuts and they would disturb the whole thing. So the best thing that they could do was in this caravan, separate the donkeys and put the people in the middle of them. That's why it's like that. But notice this, what you may not have noticed. Have you noticed what happened to the voice of Abraham since verse 13? You look at your passage again here in, in Genesis chapter 12. What has happened to the voice of Abraham? You will notice that his voice has gone missing. Abraham has gone silent. We never see him give up a fight for his woman. What does your silence say about you in the situation that you may be in when you refuse to fight for what is rightfully yours? Sure, you may think you can't possibly incriminate yourself simply by being quiet, but be aware that even your silence can speak louder than the words that you could ever utter that Abraham has gone silent. Now, you may say to yourself, I'm sure that there's some kind of conversation that was going on between Abraham and this and that because Sarah, she had to talk. So as a matter of fact, uh, did you also notice that Sarah has never said a word? Abraham has gone silent since verse 13, but from the beginning of this perquery all the way to the end of it, we see that Sarah never says a word that she is treated like an object. Sarah is treated like an object. And they take her away. But I also want you to know that the Lord is gracious even when we have been unfaithful and foolish. That the Lord is gracious even when we've been unfaithful and or foolish. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Why? Because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She's my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get yourself up out of my way. Right? And go. Verse 20. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Right? So again, uh, Abraham, Abram, he is totally silent. Now, I know that you're reading in the passage that says that Pharaoh took her as his wife, but I want you to know ain't nothing ever happened. He took her into his harem, right? 
Right? So this is the reason why the Lord came and afflicted Pharaoh because he says, no, 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 no. You don't get it, Pharaoh. You may not understand what's going on here, but uh, even though I had given my promise to Abraham, but also know that part of that promise means that Sarah must be undefiled in this picture as well. So even though she's not mentioned, know that Sarah is there. Sarah is a part of the promise of God. So the Lord, he intervened even though Abraham never said a word. And there are times when we just can't seem to get it right. That we struggle, that we lie, we cheat, we steal, and we get it wrong on top of wrong on top of wrong. But yet in the 11th hour that God, he comes through. So why did the Lord wait so long? Because I believe that in the midst of all of this, that what God was trying to do, he wanted to see how Abraham was going to respond in his faith. This is what this is about. No, this is not really about, you know, uh, Abraham deciding between him and his wife. This, this whole section is really a, about, will Abraham have faith in God in the midst of a very troubling situation? This is what it's about. But God, he never judges Abraham for his silence. And notice as well that Abraham, he never speaks to God. Did you also see that? Abraham, he never once in this section speaks directly to God. In other words, he never prays to God and says, Lord, get me out of this famine. He never prays to God and says, says Lord, get me up out of these Egyptians who want to take my wife. Will you rescue my wife? We never see that happen. And this is why, again, uh, Paul says in one of his epistles, he says that the Holy Spirit uh, intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That God, the Holy Spirit, that he comes and he does things when we do foolish things. And even when we can't pray, and when we don't pray, that it is God himself who still desires to intercede on our behalf. But then you may ask yourself, well, why is it that I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I intercede? Well, God, he still wants to test your patience. Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes that God, he leaves you right where you are in order to test you? Uh, you, don't, you don't believe me. Let's look at 2 Chronicles. Come on. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. And I think it's chapter, we'll figure it out one second. I think it's chapter 30. Second Chronicles, <clears throat> I'm going to say chapter 30, let's see how we do here. No, Second Chronicles chapter 32. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 32. Beginning verse 31. It says this, and this is in regards to King Hezekiah. And so in the manner of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land concerning Hezekiah now, he says, God left him to himself in order to test him to know all that was in his heart. realize that sometimes that in those moments 
that it seems like you cannot connect with God? Do you know that God has you there for a reason? Because it is during those times when, when you can't hear from God uh, that we really find out who you are. That God, He really speaks to you to find out if you're really going to trust Him or if you're going to move to Egypt. We're going to find out, God says that when I leave you to yourself, whether or not if you're going to trust me or if you're just going to lie. So God says that he will leave you to yourself in order to test you to know all that was in your heart. And we don't have, again, don't have time to talk about the omniscience of God. The fact that God knows everything, if God knows everything, why in the world would he go ahead and test him to find out what was in his heart to begin with? So I think even in this place in which, uh, which Abraham was not reaching out to God, that I believe that God wanted to use this as a place of maturity and growth and ultimately come to a place for Abraham to find out who he really was on the inside. And we're going to find out later that Man, Abraham did not learn this lesson. We're going to find out later that Abraham did not learn this lesson. Nevertheless, God does not judge Abraham for his silence. That he goes on and he rescues him. So why doesn't God get on him about being a person of little faith? When he has already taken a big leap a faith with God by moving his entire family because he wants to see him grow. He wants to see him move uh, from uh, this less mature place to a more mature place. So also understand that uh, during the famine, Abraham went to Egypt and did not return to his homeland. You see, there is a glimpse of faith there that uh, when the famine began to rage there in the land of Canaan, uh, that what Abraham could have done, he could have returned back. He could have gone back to Haran. He could have gone back uh, to the land of Ur, but he did not do that. The famine, again, was a time of disorientation for Abraham and his family. What has disoriented you lately? What has caused you to need to regroup and to rethink your priorities? What has shaken up your life? Abraham did not return to that place that he knew about and probably couldn't. And it was the call of God that prevented him from returning home to that place of comfort, to what he knew, to that place where everybody knew his name. And when you have a call from the Lord, you know that no place is right other than the place where God has called you. No place is satisfactory unless it is the place where God has made for you. It makes no difference how bright the lights are. It makes no difference how many people are there, how many applause that you receive, uh, what type of accolades that you get. It makes no difference that if you are not at this place where God has called you, then you are in the wrong place. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. So in other words, it wasn't even consideration for Abraham. 
So had it come to his mind or it had been his desire that Abraham would have gone back. So earlier we observed there are two entities that were silent for the most part in this story. We saw Abraham from verse 13 onward. And we, saw, uh, we saw Sarah that she was totally silent. But also we see that God is silent too. Did you notice that? We see the actions of God. We can say the actions are the presence and the voice of God. But nevertheless, God never speaks here to Abraham. So it's like uh, within this story that God is almost not even present until, again, the last moments. And have you ever felt that way before? Felt as if God had called you in the beginning and now you are just languishing and you're wondering where, oh where, have you gone, oh Lord? Where have you gone, oh Lord? You've called me here and now you've done a disappearing act on me. No, 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 no. I want you to know that God wants you to know what's really in your heart. He wants you to know what your proclivities are. Your true spiritual proclivities. Your true spiritual proclivities will be shown as you're not given the opportunity. As you are having to struggle. And what are those words that will come out of your mouth when you become so frustrated, when you become so fed up with the process that finally you just throw in the towel and you say, I give. Where is your faith? You're in the place where God has called you. Question is, will you finally get up and walk away because things are not going your way? Will your struggle finally squeeze your throat so much where you finally throw in the towel and said, I've had enough?